Good morning, my name is Renee and today's scripture reading comes from James chapter 5 verses 13 to 20. This is the reading of God's word. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, happy early Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, you know, of the many things I have to be thankful for this year, I'm especially grateful for our citizens' family for the ways you've embodied Christ's love to me and my family this past year, for our incredible team of staff and volunteers who continue to serve so faithfully in the midst of a pandemic, and for all the ways God continues to surprise us even amidst a year like 2020. And with that, I'm excited to get into the word today. Uh, we've now reached the end of our series through the book of James. I don't know about you, but this book has been so humbling for me personally because it just really forces you to ask the question, do I really believe what I say I believe? Does the way I talk to my wife, does the way I treat my coworkers, the way I manage my money, do all these things reflect the actions of someone who really understands the gospel? Because if you're just someone who goes to church because that's what you've always done, or someone who just knows a lot about God but doesn't really know him, James will expose all of that. And the premise of this book from the very beginning has been, look, if you truly believe Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, if you truly believe you are a sinner saved by grace, you will live like it. Doesn't mean you need to live a certain way in order to be loved or accepted by God. It means you will live a certain way because you are loved and accepted by God. And throughout this book, James has given us an extremely practical list of things that should characterize the life of every believer, right? Just to review, believers should be slow to speak, quick to listen. Believers should not show favoritism or ignore the needs of the poor. Believers should not slander or judge or tear people down with their words. And that's why it's very interesting that James chooses to end his letter by talking about prayer. In some ways, it's the least practical of all his commands, right? Because while prayer is something we do, it's also something that by its very nature acknowledges that at the end of the day, none of us are strong enough, wise enough, or good enough to do anything on our own. And it's as though James wants the culminating thought of his letter, the one thing he wants to leave with his readers, to be this idea that nothing he has written up to this point is possible without God. Okay, and so if you're taking notes, we're gonna go through this text and answer three questions about prayer, okay? When should we pray? Why should we pray? And whose prayers does God answer, okay? 
When should we pray? Why should we pray? And whose prayers does God answer? Okay, number one, when should we pray? Take a look at verses 13 and 14. James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Translation, pray all the time. James says, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. We see echoes of Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he, when he says, pray without ceasing, right? Obviously, he's not saying all of us should literally pray nonstop, but he's saying that in every season, in good times and bad, for big things and small, when your company is thriving and when your company is tanking, when your relationships are healthy and when your relationships are hurting, our first instinct should be to pray. You know, in general, we're really good at praying when we're in trouble, right? Like we have no problem going to God when we need something from Him when we need him to fix something in our lives. But what James is getting at here is that a telltale sign of genuine faith is the person who prays in every season, even when it feels like there's nothing to pray for. You see, when we only go to God when we need something from him, that's not a relationship. That's a transaction. And in LA, we're really good at that, right? Getting close to people who we feel like can benefit us, people who we feel like can further our careers, people who we feel like we can call up if and only if we need something. And nobody wants a friendship like that, and yet, isn't that what God is to so many of us? Someone we feel like can benefit us, someone we feel like we can call up if we ever need something, but someone we have no problem abandoning if we don't need him. And James says, yes, of course, go to God when you're in trouble. Yes, go to God when you're in need, but you will know the depth of your relationship with Him when you begin to go to Him, even when you don't think you need Him. Uh, all you golfers out there know that last week was the Masters, uh, and I was watching this special they were doing on Tiger Woods and his first ever Masters win at the young age of 21. And they showed this clip of his final putt on 18 to seal the win. And what was so beautiful about that moment was that amidst the crowd going wild, amidst all the celebration and fanfare around Tiger becoming the youngest Masters champion ever, you know what Tiger does right after he sinks that putt? He makes a beeline straight for his dad. And he gives him this embrace and you can just feel all the emotion in that moment. And it's Tiger saying, this is the most important relationship in my life. It's Tiger acknowledging in that moment that none of this is even possible without his dad. And when we pray at all times, in all seasons, it's us placing God at the center of our lives, acknowledging that everything we have comes from him. Which brings me to the second point, why should we pray? Why? You know, a lot of people think we pray for God's benefit, to give God something he needs. No. God doesn't need anything from us. In fact, heaven would be a lot quieter without all of us complaining all the time about how God doesn't care about us or about how God is the reason we're suffering. No, prayer is not for God, it's for us. It's a gift of grace given to us to remind us that we're not alone, 
that God sees us, that he hears us, that he rejoices when we rejoice, that he weeps when we weep. It's a gift for those of us who've ever tried to carry the burdens of this life on our own shoulders, a gift that teaches us the beauty of living in dependence and vulnerability. You know, it's interesting in verse 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It doesn't say so that they may be healed. It says so that you may be healed. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right? There's something about prayer that brings healing and life to the one who prays. You see, prayer is for us. You ever try praying for someone you hated? Someone who betrayed you or someone you just couldn't stand? Like this week, I want all of you to try something. Okay? Once a day, I want you to think about that one person in your life. A family member, a co-worker, a classmate who you would never be inclined to pray for. In fact, it makes you angry just thinking about that person. And I want you to try praying for them. And not the kind of prayer that says, God, can you please humble this person? No, but a genuine prayer for that person's well-being. And I want you to see what it does for you. And I guarantee you, you may not feel anything the first time or the second time or even the third time. But as you begin to pray for that person, more than that person changing, you will begin to change. You will begin to see that person in a new light with greater compassion and empathy. You will begin to see things in yourself that you never noticed before. And that's what James is getting at when he says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, one of my favorite authors and pastors, the late Eugene Peterson has this great quote and he says this, a changed world begins with us and a changed us begins when we pray. A changed world begins with us and a changed us begins when we pray. Now, the second reason uh, we pray that we see in this text is that prayer actually makes a difference. It works, right? This doesn't mean prayer changes who God is or gets him to act outside of his character, but over and over again in scripture, we see clear examples of prayer moving the heart of God into action. I mean, right here in this text, James gives us the example of Elijah. Right? Take a look at verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. There's a clear correlation between Elijah's prayer and God's response. Right? In 1 Samuel, we read, the story, we read the story of Hannah, who we read was barren and abandoned, who goes to the house of the Lord to pray, and in due time, God blesses her with a son. In Exodus 32, God is angry with Israel. He wants to wipe them out. And then we read that Moses begins to intercede on their behalf. And as a result of his prayer, God shows mercy. Prayer works. Now, I know that that can be difficult for many of us to hear, especially in a year like 2020, when it seems like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. You know, even that phrase, praying for you, feels cheap now. It's kind of like our version of, good luck, bro. You know, it's just that thing you say when you don't know what to say. And you know, earlier this year, uh, when the videos of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery went viral, when we saw our nation erupt in massive civil unrest, I read a lot of social media posts from people that said, 
You know what? Stop with the thoughts and prayers. Prayer without action is, is hypocrisy. And yes, while that may be true to some extent, I think what many of us fail to realize is that at its core, prayer is the most potent form of activism we have at our disposal. You know, one of my good friends, Eugene Park, who's a pastor up in the Bay, wrote an article in the Gospel Coalition about this. And he writes, when we pray in times of injustice, we are protesting to the highest authority in the universe, the perfect arbiter of justice. In other words, to not pray and simply rush to action is a failure to see God for who he really is. So yes, prayer without action may be hypocrisy, but action without prayer is arrogance. It's believing that we can make things happen apart from God's authority or control. Well, that's great, Jason, but at what point do you just give up and stop praying? Like I've been praying the same prayer for years and God hasn't given me what I've asked for. And I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Do you realize that so much of what you have in this life, you didn't even realize you were praying for? You were praying for a spouse, but deep down you were really praying for somebody to give you the love you may have never received growing up. And then God in his grace healed your relationship with your parents, but you're still sitting here asking why God hasn't answered your prayer. Just last year, you were praying, why God, why? Because you were so exhausted with work and never got to spend any time with your family. Fast forward to 2020, you're quarantined at home. You get to spend every waking moment with your family and suddenly you're praying again. Why God, why? But now it's, why am I trapped in here with these people? You see, we have such selective memories when it comes to answered and unanswered prayers. Do you realize that you may not be the only one praying for that job at that company? You realize that the very thing you might perceive as God failing to give you what you asked for could in fact be God giving someone else exactly what he or she asked for. You know, there was a movie back in 2003 called Bruce Almighty, okay? Where you have this reporter, Bruce Nolan, played by Jim Carrey, who basically gets fired from his job and he's complaining to God and he's saying to him, you should be fired for not doing your job. And God says, you know what? If you think you can do my job better, you can be me. And that's what happens, right? Bruce gets to be God for a bit and it's pretty great for a while, but then he starts getting all these prayer requests from all around the world. And at some point, it's too much for him to handle, so he creates this email system where he basically replies yes to every prayer request that comes in, okay? And if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. Complete chaos ensues. Why? Because nobody knows what God knows. When we see pain, God may see progress. When we see failure, God may see a pathway to greater faith. When we see a cross, God sees an empty tomb. And this shouldn't make us stop praying. This should make us pray even harder because it reminds us that even when we don't see it, God is working. So when do we pray? At all times, in all seasons. Why do we pray? Because prayer actually makes a difference in our lives and in the world. And finally, 
whose prayers does God answer? Okay, whose prayers does God answer? Now that's kind of a loaded question, right? Does God answer some prayers and not others? Are there certain people God loves more than others? Well, it seems like that's what James is saying. Take a look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What James seems to be saying here is that you have to be righteous if you want God to answer your prayers. Now, that seems like it contradicts everything we know about the gospel, right? Wait, uh, I thought there weren't supposed to be conditions to God's grace. I thought God didn't play favorites. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we secretly believe that God does play favorites, that he does bless certain people and not others, that there is a one-to-one correlation between our good deeds and the efficacy of our prayers. I mean, I've had a lot of people say to me in the past, the reason you're going through what you're going through, the reason you're sick right now, is because you have hidden sins you haven't confessed. You ever hear that? You ever hear someone equate your unanswered prayer with your bad deeds? Or the opposite. I'm sure you've heard televangelists say things like, if you give X amount of money, God will bless you and your household tenfold. If you do this, God will do this for you. If you don't do this, God won't answer you. And as much as we like to make fun of televangelists, I think there's something in all of us that kind of believes that God's favor can in fact be earned. That if we go to church regularly, that if we serve faithfully, that somehow our prayers get moved up on the queue. And if you don't believe me, think about how we react when our prayers don't get answered and someone else's does. We think things like, wait, that guy married that girl? How? They live in that house? How? What have they done to deserve that? They don't serve in children's ministry like I do. They don't go on mission trips every year like I do. How did their prayers get answered and not mine? And you see how even that line of questioning assumes that God answers our prayers on the basis of what we do. Well, if this isn't true, then how are we supposed to understand what James says when he says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective? What is he talking about? And how do we reconcile that with what Paul says in Romans 3 when he says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one kind of puts us in a lose-lose situation, right? So you're saying there's no one righteous, and yet you have to be righteous for your prayers to be heard. You know, uh, I tell my wife this all the time. Uh, I, I just really hope Avery, my daughter, marries a good man. And I don't care if he's rich, I don't care if he's famous or a rocket scientist, I just hope she marries a good man. And then Carol's like, but I thought no man will ever be good enough for her. And I say, yeah, you're right. And this is exactly what it sounds like is happening here. You have to be righteous, but no one's ever going to be righteous enough. There's no one righteous. Well, what's the solution? The only solution is that the righteousness then has to come from outside of us. And Paul tells us in Romans 3 that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
You see, there was only one person who ever walked this earth that was perfectly righteous, and his name was Jesus. But the strange thing is, he didn't die like a righteous man should. He died a death reserved for only the worst of criminals, death on a cross. And on that cross, Jesus took upon his own shoulders all of our unrighteousness, all the horrible things you and I have ever thought or done, and he was treated as though he'd thought or done those things himself. Why? Also that you and I would be clothed in his perfect righteousness and treated as though we lived his perfect life. And what that means is that when we place our trust in him, we can be confident that our prayers are perfectly powerful and effective because when God looks at us, He doesn't look at our mistakes or our shortcomings or our failures. He looks at us through the perfect righteousness of His Son. Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Do you realize that at this very moment, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you and me? From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, Jesus prays for us. When we feel afraid or alone, Jesus prays for us. When we're so angry with God and on the verge of giving up on Him altogether, Jesus prays for us. When we're so exhausted that we can barely get the words out, Jesus prays for us. You know, it's comforting when you're going through a challenging season like the one all of us are in right now, and a friend or family member or pastor tells you they're praying for you. But it's something completely different when you realize that the creator of the universe, the one in whom all things live and move and have their being, is praying for you too. Friends, I know it's been an excruciating year for all of us. I know many of you are shouldering unimaginable burdens right now, and in light of that, I want to encourage us not to make prayer a last resort, but the first thing we turn to in our time of need that we would not try to hold ourselves up by our own strength, but instead run to the arms of our Heavenly Father who upholds us with His unfailing love and mercy. Let's pray. Gracious God, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, we give you praise for all the ways you've been so good and so merciful to us, even amidst a year like 2020. We thank you for the gift of prayer, of being able to commune with the God of the universe, a gift made possible only through the work of your Son on the cross. Lord, help us to be a church marked by prayer, a community marked by a deep dependence on your grace and mercy. This morning, I pray on behalf of all those tuning in, for those who find themselves in good times, that you would remind them that every good and perfect gift comes from you, and those who find themselves in hard times, that you would remind them of your promise to never leave or forsake them. We pray for the continued safety of those in our city. Would you protect and strengthen us in this season? We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.